Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Rockalypse Music Workshops. As you tune in, let us know where you're from in the comments. There's a chat section on the side. And also, if you'd like to introduce yourself, that would be great as well. The workshop today is presented by the Syncopated Noise Foundation and Long McQuaid. Before we begin, I'd like to do our Indigenous land acknowledgement. The Syncopated Noise Foundation acknowledges that we're airing these events from the unceded traditional territory of the Kanyanga Hakra, a place which has long served as a site of meeting and exchange amongst many First Nations, whose presence here reaches back to time immemorial. For those of you who are joining for the first time, our mission is to empower independent musicians, to provide access to music business knowledge, and also to learn directly from music industry professionals. This event will be, uh, the format of this event will be a 40-minute presentation and a live Q&A. It is made possible thanks to Factor Canada and Long McQuaid. I will turn on my slides again because they have disappeared. Sorry for that. Here we go. All right. So our speaker today, Katie Celine, she's the account and project manager at Music Rights Clearance in Montreal. She is responsible for all aspects of the relationships with MRC clients and project life cycles, including music supervision, and clearance for advertising, film, and television. Recent work includes music for spots for Kia, Hyundai, Molson Busy, McDonald's, and Ikea. Getting her start as an intern at MTV in their legal and business affairs department, Katie has worked in the music and media industry for over 10 years. After some time in the radio as the general manager of Concordia University's campus community radio station CJLO, Katie shifted to licensing music for multinational companies like Touchtoons and Stingray, clearing everything from music for jukeboxes and karaoke to concerts for on-demand broadcasts. Katie holds a BA in communications from Concordia University, an MA in music business from NYU, and a certificate in copyright from Harvard University. She enjoys kittens, ice cream, and music with big beats and fuzzy guitars. Welcome, Katie. I'll let you take it from here. Hi, everyone. Thank you, Alessia, and thank you to um, Syncopated Noise Foundation for having me. I'm happy to be here to tackle um, what is an incredibly uh, complex and intimidating subject. So I will attempt to make this as uh, painless and as um, clear as possible. Um, so I'll give you a little bit of an idea of what we're going to talk about today. So. Um, hopefully by the end of this, I'll be able to provide you with a good understanding of the basics of um, copyright and the ins and outs of copyright, as well as music publishing, and how they affect uh, the musician and songwriter's career. We're going to cover the basics of copyright, the fundamentals of music publishing, and how to make sure that you are taking advantage of a song's possible income streams. You can go ahead to the next slide, please. So we're going to start with copyright. Um, and I know this is supposed to be about music publishing, but you'll see that it is because you can't have music publishing without copyright. So we're going to start by looking at that. And a lot of people um, don't know what copyright is, which is totally fair. 
Um, but copyright reaches out and applies to all aspects of um, creative works. So whether that be uh, written work, like a book or a poem or visual art, like a painting, movie, a TV show, science, um, music, copyright applies to all of it. And what copyright does is it gives authors and creators of a work the exclusive right to control the use of their creations. So it's basically a system of protection and it grants you a, um, a set of rights in the work that you create. And the reason for this is to um, help to promote the progress of science and useful arts. Um, because it is generally in the best interest, it's believed, of the general public at large to encourage uh, the development of scientific discoveries and encourage artists to create. If you think about it, um, and anybody here who is an artist will understand this and appreciate this, that if you were to spend time and energy and often money to create uh, a work of art uh, or a scientific discovery, um, or a writing or an article or anything of that sort, and it was just out there in the world for anybody to steal and put their name on and um, make money off of um, and utilize on their own, it would probably be pretty discouraging to continue to create works of art. So this is where copyright comes into play. Um, and it's basically a system uh, and series of rights that you're granted whenever you create a work um, that's going to help not only to protect that work, but allow you to exploit it, to make money off of it, um, and also to protect it uh, and make sure that you, um, you don't lose any of those, those sets of rights that you're able to, um, to have. So copyright, though, lasts for a limited amount of time. Um, authors are, of a work or creators of a work are given a defined period of time to protect and exploit that uh, work for money. It's different at the moment between Canada and the US, and it's different in all different countries of the world. The system for copyright in Europe is different than the system for copyright in the United States. Um, in Canada, it's the currently the life of the author and an additional 50 years. So once the author or the creator of the work um, has passed away, there's an additional 50 years under which uh, the work is protected by copyright. Now in the United States, it is the life of the author plus 70 years, but there's been a series of developments um, in copyright law uh, in Canada um, and in the United States as well. There's been sort of a joint um, task force handling copyright in Canada and the US. And so in Canada, that duration of copyright is um, going to be extended in the next two years, two or three years, to be the life of the author plus 70 years so that it matches up with the United States. Um, and a lot of people um, ask, there's a common term that is thrown around called the public domain. So people will say, oh, well, I can use this work because I think it's in the public domain. What happens when copyright expires is a work ends up in what's called the public domain in that those rights of copyright no longer apply and the work is free for others to use, to um, 
either to reinterpret or to um, to take pieces of or to redo on their own. Um, but you cannot do any of those things until the copyright enters into the public domain. And it's actually quite complicated to figure out um, if it's in the public domain because um, if there's only one author, for example, um, then it's pretty obvious, right? It's this life of author plus 50 years. But let's say there's multiple creators or authors, which we'll talk about in a little bit. It's going to be the last remaining author uh, alive plus the 70 years or 50 years currently in Canada. So you have to know when the last person passed away before it can be considered in the public domain. Um, and you um, also need to make sure you're following um, the public domain and copyright laws and terms of the country that you're using the work in. And as I mentioned, it's different in every country. So it can be a little bit complicated. Um, and so you should never, if you think something's in the public domain, but you're not certain, it's always a good idea to um, double check. Uh, you can go on to the next slide. So what is copyright? It protects the expression of an idea, but not the idea itself. So for example, um, if I have an idea for a song, it's in my head, maybe I dreamt it in my sleep, um, I have an idea of what I want it to sound like, I have an idea of what um, kind of lyrics I want to put in there, um, that idea itself would not be protected by copyright. It is only protected by copyright when um, that idea is turned into an actual work and is expressed in some kind of form. So whether that is um, a performance of that song you had in your head, a recording of a song you had in your head, you write it down, you do a demo, um, you uh, uh, write a couple of notes down, you write, you annotate the, um, the music, you do some music notation. By doing that, you're what's called fixing the work in some kind of tangible form. It can be in tangible form, but now in the digital age, it can also be um, a digital copy of, of uh, that idea or expression of that idea. So once it's fixed in that tangible form, whether digital or physical, um, a copyright is automatically applied so long as that idea is original. So if I went and took um, the book, The Great Gatsby, and I wrote it down myself, um, and I created, I put it in a new tangible form, I do not enjoy copyright in that book. I, in fact, would be infringing on um, that copyright. So um, the idea, it's very important to remember that an idea is not protected to copyright from, by copyright, excuse me, unless it is fixed in some kind of form. So um, for music, it could be the song is recorded, uh, either the song itself is recorded or a performance of the song, a live performance of the song, that would be a copyright. Um, or if it's written, any kind of lyrics written down or musical notation, that would also be copyrighted. You can go ahead. Thanks. Um, so what is copyright applied to? Copyright is applied to any creation, like I said, as long as it's in some kind of tangible form. So in the case of music, it's applied to musical works. And a musical work, that the dictionary definition of a musical work, 
is any work of music or musical composition with or without words, and that includes any compilation of that music, um, and the, uh, you know, we know it day to day as the term songs. Um, what is a composition though? And it's very important to remember that um, a song itself gets split into two. We're gonna look at this more in detail in the next slide, but um, the comp it gets split in two between a composition and a recording. Um, a composition, you can't have a recording without the composition. The composition is that base work, right? It's the intellectual content of a music work, musical work. And what that means is the, um, any kind of musical content. So the lyrics, the melody, the structure. Um, and this is created by authors and composers. It can be created by producers, arrangers, or a combination of all of these people. Now, once you have the song or the composition, it often gets recorded um, and that recording gets to enjoy its own copyright. So a recording of a musical work um, or a performed composition is usually created by performers. So musicians, singers, DJs, MCs, um, and it's usually commissioned or owned by a record label. Or if you're independent, then you as the performer um, get to enjoy ownership of that copyright in the recording. So when you, um, there's no recording without a song. It's something that's very important to remember. There's no recording without a composition. So it's a bit of a chicken and an egg type of situation, but you have to have um, a composition uh, before you can even have the recording. Go ahead. And it looks like something like this. I find it always really helpful um, to visualize um, what this looks like when a song gets split in two. Um, and you're gonna see a lot of, uh, circles in this presentation um, but for those of you who are going to be listening after the fact without the visual accompaniment um, you can think of it as kind of like two pies right so um, you can think of your song as uh, you know all the components of of your pie right that you're about to put together um, and so first you have the composition that'll be one pie let's say and then you have the recording which would be um, a separate pie, as it were, a separate circle. So um, the composition, um, why it's helpful to, to think of them as two separate parts is because each of these enjoy their own copyright. So the composition of the song is one copyright, and that recording of the song is another copyright. Um, the uh, recording is sometimes often known as the master recording, or that's the first um, first recording of a song. Um, that term is, is being phased out dependent on um, who you talk to uh, because of some of the, the racial connotations with the term um, master. So um, often you'll hear of it as just the recording or the original, uh, original recording. Um, and it really depends on who you're talking about. I know Sony Music, for example, has phased out the, the use of the word master. Others have not. So just something to be aware of. So, like I said, um, there are two halves of a song and, and always only one composition. However, there can be multiple recordings of the same composition or of the same song. You can go on to the next slide. So, who owns a copyright's composition? So, a song can have one um, author 
or multiple authors. And these are known when it comes to compositions as songwriters. Songwriters can be a composer, they can be lyricists, they can be producers, arrangers, like I mentioned. Um, the authors are generally the first owners of the rights in the work or the first owners of the copyright. So to give you an example, let's think of uh, the show Friends. Let's say Joey and Chandler from Friends wrote a song together. Um, they would be considered songwriters and they would both own the copyright in the song. They'd be considered joint authors. And it could be just Joey and Chandler. It could be the entire cast of Friends that all wrote one song together. There's no limit in the number of, of people who can be authors in a work or creators in a work, but they would all be considered joint authors. Um, so remember though, that in order to have a copyright, the work has to be original. So if um, Joey, let's say, only wrote a bass riff, that's fine. It would still be enough for him to um, have the status of owner and to have a copyright in the song, um, as long as it's original. So it can't be a copy of somebody else's bass riff. And it's significant in the song. So it can't just be like one note. That's not going to be enough to get him um, copyright. But as long as it's a, por a significant portion of the song, then um, he can be considered to be a joint author and have co-ownership of the copyright. Um, so if you write a song alone, you are the sole owner of the copyright. And this is where we start to think of copyright in terms of percentages. So if you are um, a solo creator, you have 100% ownership of the copyright in the song. Um, you can never have more than 100% ownership in something because it's 100% of the whole, right? So if you're the solo creator, you have 100% ownership. You can go to the next slide. If a song though is written with multiple people, um, they're all considered co-writers. And like I said, there is no um, limit to the number of co-writers you can have, but the splits in the song um, or the how the ownership is divided up has to equal out to 100%. You can't be uh, over that. So each person's share is what's called a split. Um, and splits really need to be discussed with the people you create the song with um, early on. And it's a really good idea to write it down somewhere. Um, and this can be something uh, called a split sheet where you just, um, you write down the different, um, how the ownership is divided up. It could be on a bar napkin, it could be, uh, written down um, properly on a sheet of paper or in a spreadsheet uh, where everybody signs it that helps to make it a little more official or it could just be your registration um, with um, SOCAN for example which we'll talk about later but it's a really good idea to write it down in case there's ever a dispute and disputes happen all the time because you could think you're you know writing with your group of buddies for, with a song um, and let's say that the song blows up and does really well um, and then something happens and the band breaks up. And then people could start arguing over how much ownership they have in the copyright. So to avoid all of this, it's a really good idea to write it down. Um, so the example I have here is where a song is split evenly. Four people in the band, they, the pie gets split up in four. Everybody has a 25% share of the ownership of that composition but it could be um, divided up any way 
that you all agree to. So it could be maybe one person has 50% because they wrote the majority of the song and then the rest gets split up into thirds. Um, it could be that one person has 90% of the song and maybe somebody else just threw in a couple of lyrics or something and they have 10%. Um, I've seen it get down to as low as 0.05% of a split on a song, which is crazy, but it does happen. Um, and um, you see that a lot in hip hop. Um, you see that a lot in music that's been sampled. Um, if I look at the splits of um, a lot of Kanye West songs from when Kanye West was, um, you know, really in his heyday, um, or he's still in his heyday, but when, you know, over the past few records, um, it is, uh, it can get split up any way, shape or form. Um, and I've, like I've said, I've seen percentages from 5%, 1%, 0.5%, um, as long as it So, like I mentioned, um, by having copyright, you get a set of rights um, for your work. And there's two sets of rights. There's economic rights, and that's the right to get um, financial reward from your work or make money off of your work. And then there's also moral rights. And moral rights are the right to protect your work, uh, the integrity of the work, the integrity rather of you as the creator, um, so your work can't be slandered, it can't be destroyed, um, it can't be copied. Those are moral rights. Uh, copied as in like um, kind of taken for somebody else to use. Um, so um, the thing about these two sets of rights, and I'll, again, I'll talk about this more in detail, but they can be assigned, they can be passed on to other people, but moral rights cannot. So you can never lose the integrity of your work or lose the integrity of um, your art or the integrity of you as the author. Um, so thinking back to Joey and Chandler and the song that they wrote, um, they get a certain set of rights by having a copyright. So they get, and this isn't just applied to music, this can be applied to any work of art, but they get the right, and this is an exclusive right just for them, they get the right to uh, reproduce their song, so to make copies of the song, um, either the entirety of the song or um, just a portion of the song or a substantial part of the song. They have the, the right, and when I say exclusive right, it means they're the only ones that have these rights. They have the right to communicate the song to the public. They have the right to perform the song, the right to record the song, the right to publish the song, and also the right to authorize anybody to do any of those things with their music. That only they are allowed to authorize that. You can go to the next slide. So what does it mean to authorize the rights in a copyright? So a copyright or a portion of the copyright can be assigned or sold um, and you typically see this happen when um, an artist signs some kind of contract or some kind of deal. So the copyright in a musical composition would usually be sold or assigned to a music publisher when you sign a music publishing deal. Um, the copyright or the right to distribute um, or to make available, communicate to the public could be assigned to a distributor for your recordings. Um, 
And that would happen when you sign a deal or when you sign up for, let's say, DistroKid. Um, the rights uh, to your um, recording are often also assigned or sold to a record label. So usually if you get an advance and you sign a record contract, the record label then gets to keep the copyright of your recording or they'll commission the recording if it doesn't already exist and then they own the copyright. Um, a copyright owner can also um, give authorization or what's known as license um, someone else to use the work um, or use those sets of rights um, that are usually enjoyed only by the copyright owner. So a license is kind of like a permission. We'll give that, uh, we'll talk about that more in a bit as well. So let's talk a little bit about um, each of these um, each of these rights will kind of to understand what they mean. So the first um, is what's called the right to reproduce. So that's the right to create a copy of, of a work. So if we're talking songs for this purpose. So um, that gives you permission to copy your composition. We're talking just compositions here, not the actual recordings, just the composition. Um, it gives you permission to, um, or gives you the exclusive right rather, to copy your composition or your musical work onto um, a cassette, let's say, or onto a CD or press it onto vinyl. Um, to create and to download MP3s. To copy the lyrics or the sheet music, whether physically onto paper or online. So when you see, when you look up the lyrics to, um, to a song online on Google and it will show up kind of in your Google search. Um, that's what I mean by, that's a copy of the, the composition, of the lyrical portion of the composition. Um, and for all of these um, copies, usually in music, um, there will be royalties associated to these. So um, whenever you hear the term uh, mechanical royalty or reproduction royalty, um, that refers to making a copy of the work. In Canada, typically it's referred to as reproduction, and in the US it's typically referred to as mechanical. Can go to the next slide. There's also the right to communicate the work to the public. And it's really important that this isn't confused with um, live performance. So communicating the work to the public um, is not live performance. It's making those songs or compositions available to the public. So this could be on streaming services, on YouTube, um, having your songs played on the radio, or getting your songs on TV or in the movies. Um, it's just the availability of that music. Um, so it could be um, when your songs are made available via a distributor, for example, you're um, assigning the right to communicate that work to the public. Now, there is also the right to perform. So um, this is why the right to perform is not the same as the right to communicate the work to the public. The right to perform is literally the right to perform. But this could be a live performance. Um, that's the most common right to perform, you know, when you're on stage and you're performing your music. But it also is um, anytime music is heard by the public, either voluntarily or, um, you know, just generally in public. So um, this would be radio airplay when you hear music in the grocery store, in a restaurant or in a bar, um, at the dentist, um, 
anytime you hear music on TV, uh, music in venues, so whether it's being performed or maybe it's just the music that's being heard between bands, um, on streaming services, Streaming services count because even though they are on demand, um, you're still, um, the music is still being performed. It's just somebody is um, choosing when it's going to be performed. So anywhere music is heard by the public. And um, this is most commonly known by the term public performance. And we'll talk more about that. Can we go to the next slide? So the right, that right to perform um, can sometimes be confused by, with the rights of performers, and they're two different things. So the right to perform, if we think back to Joey and Chandler and their song, um, Joey and Chandler have that exclusive right to perform their song in public since they're the owners of the pop copyright. But the right to perform is different than the right of performers. So um, if you think of a cover song, um, the most uh, classic example is the song I Will Always Love You that's most commonly known um, performed by Whitney Houston um, in the movie The Bodyguard. Um, a lot of people just assume that Whitney Houston wrote this song, but she actually did not. Um, Dolly Parton was the one who wrote the song. Um, and she actually performed it first. She has her own recording of the song. Um, and then Whitney Houston covered it and did her own version for the movie The Bodyguard. Um, so in this case, Dolly Parton is considered the songwriter. She's also considered the performer because she did um, do her own version. And um, Whitney Houston is considered also a performer, but Whitney Houston is not a songwriter. So Whitney Houston doesn't get to enjoy, well, I mean, Whitney Houston has passed away, but her estate does not get to enjoy the rights um, or the uh, financial um, gain from the rights of the composition but she does or her estate would get to um, enjoy the rights from her performance so performers could be actors singers musicians magicians <laughs> dancers basically anyone who performs a literary or artistic work and performers have their own sets of rights that come from the copyright of their performances and those are known as neighboring rights you can go to the next slide. When it comes to the right to record, and this is the right to record the composition, um, this would be when the sound record, uh, sorry, when the composition or the song is fixed to a sound recording for the first time. So um, the first recording of a song is usually called, like I said, the master recording. And this is um, done by um, whoever does this first recording is known as the maker. That's the official legal, legal term. So um, the maker of the uh, recording. And the maker of a recording, um, remember if we think back to those two different pies, you have the composition, right? And that's um, owned by the songwriter. Um, and then the um, master recording or the recording is owned by the um the copyright in that is owned by the maker of that first recording or of the recording rather um so you get the rights to reproduce the sound recording as the um owner of the uh first uh recording of the song um so that is to reproduce it onto cds vinyls tapes downloads and to make it available to the public um 
but not to be confused with that same right to reproduce uh, in terms of mechanicals, the composition and the two go hand in hand. Um, you can't have one without the other. Um, you also get the right as the, uh, the maker of the recording to communicate that sound recording to the public, um, to sell CDs, vinyl, downloads, streams, etc. Um, the maker of a sound recording is usually the artist or the record label. So if you've entered a deal with the record label, then you're um, assigning over or selling those rights um, as the maker to your sound recording. Or the record label is the one that commissions the sound recording in the first place, and so they're considered the maker. So, um, like I mentioned before, uh, a really important part of copyright um, and often how most people will get to make money off of their copyright is by assigning that copyright. So um, this can be assigned in whole or just in part. And what assignment does is it transfers the ownership of a copyright over to somebody else, whether that's a business or an individual. It's that idea of um, buying something from somebody or selling it. So the assignment can be limited to a territory or a particular medium. So whether that's, um, you know, physical copy of, of the work or a stream or something like that, it can be all different um, or a certain sector of the market. The two main assignments that we see for musical compositions, so the composition of the song, is that performing rights, that right to perform, um, will be assigned to a um, performing rights society. So that's SOCAN in Canada, ASCAP or BMI in the US, PRS in the UK. Um, and the copyrights in a composition will usually be assigned to a music publisher. Um, master recording rights though, uh, which is going to relate to the recording of the song, are often required to be assigned to a record label when signing a record deal. And then um, those royalty terms or how you're going to get paid for that assignment are included um, as part of the contract. There's something that will pop up every now and then um, if you're a creator called a work for hire. And that should, anytime you hear the word work for hire, that should raise a little bit of a flag for you. It's not necessarily a red flag, but it's a flag. Um, a work for hire is different um, in that than an assignment in that you forfeit all of your copyrights right from the beginning when the work is created. You're creating the work for a company or an individual person and you don't own the copyright. You're creating it for them, they own the copyright. You've given away all of your rights, all of your economic rights, all of your rights to copy, all of it, basically. Um, this happens sometimes in record label contracts, um, and it causes some complications when it comes to um, when copyrights expire. Um, it's not necessarily a bad thing, you know, if you are commissioned to write a song for a commercial, let's say, or for a product or a brand, um, for an app and it's a, a quick work for hire and you're happy to get a one-time payout for that work um, that's great but you'll just never get any money for it again afterwards um, and then licensing is different than assignment in that it grants um, a very specific right or a set of rights in a work to somebody for a specific amount of time and it's usually temporary so it's that idea instead of buying it from you um, you're asking somebody to hold it for you or giving them uh, the ability to use it. So I mentioned SOCAN before. SOCAN is going to be assigned the right to perform or performing rights of a composition. 
but then SOCAN will then license those rights out to businesses on behalf of the songwriter. So they'll provide that service. You can go to the next slide. Um, okay, so that brings us to music publishing. This is why we're here, right? And you can't have, like I said, you can't have music publishing without copyright. So music publishing is essentially the business of um, getting copyrights, of acquiring copyrights, protecting those copyrights, and promoting or exploiting them um, in the case of songs, uh, and then collecting the royalties that those copyrights generate. So it's the whole package deal. So a music publisher is, uh, their job basically, is to make sure that songwriters get paid fairly um, and that they do get paid whenever their um, intellectual property or their songs are being used. So, um, for example, they will, a music publisher will um, work with somebody like me who um, works to get songs to be used in commercials or in TV shows or films. Um, they'll push uh, somebody's music to somebody like me um, and try to get um, the music to be used and then they'll license the music out and they'll make sure that I pay for it. They'll make sure I pay, not only that I pay, but that I pay a fair price and that I don't end up abusing that copyright. Um, so one thing though about music publishing that um, a lot of people don't realize, they'll think, oh, you know, I'm an independent songwriter and I really want to get a publishing deal, which great. But a lot of people don't realize is that they, you are automatically the music publisher until you assign your um, copyright over to a music publisher. So if you've never signed a publishing deal, you are your own music publisher. You can go to the next slide. So what is the benefit of music publishing? What does publishing do for me? Or why would I even want to sign a publishing deal if I'm by default the music publisher? So a music publisher can make sure that your songs are um, registered and tracked across around the world um, and make sure that your royalties are getting collected, um, that your money that you're earning from the use of your song um, is getting back to you. A music publisher, though, is not involved typically in the distribution of your music, so they're not a distributor. And um, they don't always offer what's called creative services uh, to exploit your music. But not all publishing agreements are um, the same. Like all publishers are going to approach things a little bit differently. There's kind of classic deals that can be used, um, but it, it really depends on what you're looking at. You can go to the next slide. So, before we get into um, the different types of, of um, music publishing, um, just to understand the basics. So this is where things are, might get a little, a little muddy <laughs> and you have to use your imagination if you're listening to this and not seeing the slides. But um, so when we have a song, right, you have the composition and that's what we're going to be talking about because music publishing doesn't involve um, actual recorded music. That's where the record labels come in. But they are tied because you can't usually um, exploit a song in full unless there's a recording. But let's put the recording aside. So let's put that pie 
away in the fridge. <laughs> um, let's just talk about the composition itself. So when you get involved with a music publisher, you are um, the songwriter. You're the people, you're the person or the people, if you're a band or a group of songwriters who wrote um, the song. Let's just talk about one song. So thinking back to Joey and Chandler, they're the songwriters in the music. Um, but let's say that they end up in a publishing deal. Um, or even if they don't end up in a publishing deal and they continue to be their own publishers, that composition, when it comes to, um, if we think about it in terms of the money that gets um, paid out for the exploitation of the composition, it gets divided into two again. Half of that money or half of that those rights or half of the, the song stays with the um, songwriters. So that's the percentage of ownership of the work by the creator that gets paid, stays with them. It gets paid by them. They, they maintain all of the rights in their work. But they can assign um, their copyrights or a portion of their copyrights um, and all of those benefits that come with it to a music publisher. And it's always going to be 50% of, the, of their share of their portion of the song. So the 50% publishing share is the percentage of ownership of the work that um, was owned originally by the creator, but then gets assigned to the music publisher. The reason why a songwriter keeps their half portion of, of their copyright of their share is um, in order to um, protect them and to make sure that they still get to reap the benefits of their creation. Um, and a publisher keeps um, the 50% or whatever is assigned based on the publishing deal um, for the benefits of the work that they're, that they're doing in exploiting the song. Now, what actually gets paid out and how that gets split up can, it can look all, all kinds of different, they can, it can look different in all kinds of different ways. But um, generally speaking, traditionally, it's split 50-50. Um, the writer's share um, is the percentage of song ownership connected to the author or the composer. So that's very important to remember. And then the publisher's share is the share of revenue that can be generated to a publisher via a publishing contract. Now, again, if you haven't signed a publishing contract, if you don't work with a music publisher, you are your own music publisher. So you would keep the full pie, the full, the full amount, the 100%. You can go to the next slide. So publishing deals um, can look different, like I said, depending on the publisher. Um, and you can also decide not to work with a music publisher, or you can work with what's called a, a publishing administrator. And I'll break down the differences. So with a traditional publishing deal, um, there are advantages and there are different uh, disadvantages. So one of the advantages could be that um, a music publisher will offer creative services. So that's where they pitch your music for different things. Like they'll pitch to me as a music supervisor to uh, for um, projects like advertising or for films or TV shows. Um, and they'll, they'll work to get you opportunities like that, which are called um, sync deals, synchronization deals. Um, they'll also sometimes work with brands to do brand um, partnerships. They'll, um, they'll market your songs. And again, we're not talking about the recordings, we're talking about just the actual compositions. Um, 
And another advantage is that often a music publisher will pay it in advance. And that is to help you, um, you know, give a little injection of cash to help you create um, or to give you money up front to, um, to offer their services. And then from there, the, the publishing deal can, again, vary. It can be just a straight 50-50 split. It could be a 50-50 split in terms of copyright, but in terms of the money that gets paid out, maybe they take an additional 10% um, uh, administration fee. It really depends on the contract and it varies from contract to contract. Some of the disadvantages though, is that you can be giving up um, 25 to up to 50% of your copyright for life. Um, you could get locked into a fixed term so a publishing agreement is usually at least three years, um, if not more. Um, and then if things don't work out or if you're not loving the team you're working with, you're kind of stuck. Um, another con is that generally you have to transfer the ownership of all of your songs that you've written up to that point um, to the music publisher unless you had a, a previous agreement. So let's say I was signed to a music publishing deal with um, Sony Music and I wrote 25 songs before and during my agreement with Sony Music, and then I decide to switch over to an independent music publisher, Sony would keep the copyrights in all the songs I wrote during that time, and then the independent publisher would get all the songs that I wrote from that point onward. Um, if you decide to maintain your own music publishing to do everything yourself, um, that's great because you get to keep all of the royalties that would be coming to you as both the songwriter and the music publisher. Um, and you get to keep all the rights and benefits. Um, and it doesn't stop you from signing a publishing deal in the future. But a disadvantage is, um, as we've already seen, hopefully a lot of you aren't um, completely confused. Um, this is a very complex topic. It can be very confusing. It can be costly. Um, complicated and very hands-on, um, especially when you start to think about all the different uh, royalty streams that we'll talk about that could be coming to you. Um, and um, you might really just ultimately not know what you're doing. <laughs> so, And it can also take up a lot of time to um, that will stop you from creating new work. So there can be definitely be a disadvantage to doing everything yourself. Um, an alternative is that you can work with what's called a publishing administrator. Now there are companies that um, they offer distribution services and publishing services like TuneCore. Um, I think DistroKid might as well, but I'm not certain. Um, there are companies, there's a company called SongTrust that offers publishing services where you get to keep all your copyrights and um, they will keep a, a small percentage fee on any royalties that you make, but they'll track all your royalties, they'll gather all your royalties and pay out for you. Um, but a company like SongTrust um, and TuneCore don't typically offer creative services or advances, um, but they are uh, flexible and they allow you to keep all of your ownership. And again, usually, you know, they might be for, if there is a, a, a period of time that you're obligated to stay with them, it could be a year or it could be three years, um, but then you can usually sign a deal or switch uh, providers in the future. Can go to the next slide. Um, okay, so, so now that we know all of this and we have a hopefully a little bit of an understanding of what publishing is, 
how do you actually make money off of these songs, um, off of these compositions, or even actually your recordings? We'll touch on that as well. So remember, both halves of a song have a copyright that can be exploited to earn royalties. So um, remember the two sides, there's the composition and that's usually handled, um, that involves your music publishing and often involves a music publisher. And then there's the recording, which can um, involve a record label, or if you're independent, you keep all of this. So there's a few different sets of royalties tied to those sets of rights that you get, um, the, uh, the rights that you get in your copyright. So if we look first at, um, let's first start actually on the right side of the slide with um, the recording. Um, so anybody who um, is listening that has, uh, that is in a band or uh, is an independent musician and you do, um, you do everything yourself and your distribution, let's say is through um, one of the distributors like DistroKid and you get your streaming royalties as small or as large as they may be, um, from uh, a streaming service like Spotify. Those are the revenues related to your the recording. So those are the master recording revenues that you get from any time your song is streamed or a record is sold. Those aren't to be confused with what's called digital performance royalties um, that come from the performance of the recording, which is separate from the performance of the composition. Um, and so both of those live with um, either the record label or your distributor um, and then get paid out to you depending on the agreement that you have. Now on the song side, um, remember there's the right to perform and the right to copy. Um, so on the composition side, there is uh, performance royalties associated from the performance of the composition. So that's going to be your SOCAN royalties, your public performance royalties. Um, and then there's also mechanical royalties that come or reproduction royalties that come from any time the composition is um, copied or a copy is made. And we'll break these down a little bit more as well. You can go to the next slide. Um, but let's back up for a second. What are royalties? Um, royalties, we hear the term a lot, right? But royalties in music publishing is any money that's earned from the use of the song itself, the composition. Royalties from your label or distributor is money earned from the use of the recording, but it's all just money. It's uh, any money that is earned from the use of your music. Um, it's important to know that your composition royalties, though, are collected and paid out by collection societies or your publisher, while any royalties related to the master recording or the recording of your song are paid out by your distributor or your record label who collect it and pay out to you. And go to the next slide. Okay, so let's talk about these main types of song royalties associated with music publishing. So the big one um, is performance royalties or the right to perform. It's not necessarily going to pay you out a lot of money, but it is one of the most important because it comes from so many different sources. So anytime the song is publicly performed or heard by the public, now again, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're performing it live, well, that counts. The whole category means anytime the song is um, heard by the public. So whether that's on the radio, um, whether it's out in a live venue, restaurants, bars, grocery stores, um, streaming services also count. 
So you're going to get a few different sets of royalties from streaming services, one of which will also be performance royalties in addition to your royalties for um, the stream uh, from your record company or from uh, your distributor. Um, internet radio stations, non-interactive streaming services, it all falls under performance royalties. Um, mechanical royalties or reproduction royalties is any time the composition itself is copied. So um, that an example of that would be any time um, the song is pressed onto a vinyl and then there's copies of the vinyl that are made um, or any time uh, CD is, is pressed um, or any time digital downloads occur, um, a copy of that composition is being made. Um, if we go back to thinking about um, Dolly Parton and um, Whitney Houston. So whenever Whitney Houston's um, record label, which I believe was Sony at the time, made a copy of the song and pressed it onto a CD because CDs were the big thing back then, um, Dolly Parton would actually get paid reproduction royalties or mechanical royalties because the song she wrote was being copied, if that makes sense. Um, also, these also come from uh, mechanical and reproduction royalties also come from uh, streaming services, believe it or not. And there was a big fight over the past several years uh, by streaming services and Congress in the United States as to whether or not um, mechanical or reproduction royalties should apply for online streaming. But if you think of it, every time you're streaming um, a song off of Spotify, a copy of that song, copy of the composition is getting stored on a hard, first of all, it's getting stored on a hard drive just to be made available by streaming services. But it's also um, temporarily making a copy on your device, whether that's on your computer, on your phone, on your tablet. So copies are being made. And so the songwriters, not the musicians, but the songwriters um, should be getting uh, a royalty for that um, copy being made. This also applies to ringtones. Um, ringtones aren't as big of a thing anymore as they used to be, but I remember when I had my first cell phone when I was in college, um, you know, my ringtone was an MGMT song. Um, so it what used to be a thing. Um, anytime a cover song is recorded, um, you need you get paid a me mechanical royalty. Um, anytime uh, a, a soundtrack is made of a movie, uh, for a movie rather, um, there's going to be a mechanical royalty. Um, all of this falls under reproduction and all of it gets paid to the songwriters. Um, now, when it comes to reproduction and when it comes to performance, um, you need permission to do all of these things, to make a copy, to, um, to perform the song live, to perform the song um, uh, on, a, on a radio station or whatnot. Now, the, the thing is, though, is that why you would sign up for something like SOCAN or, um, or any of the services that offer um, mechanical royalties um, is so that they handle these permissions for you. Because if you had to deal with every single bar and restaurant on the planet um, coming to you for the permission to play your song in the bar or restaurant or every radio station coming to you, it would be an impossible task. So that's why you sign up for something like SOCAN. Um, which will handle um, licensing out to all of these places. 
collecting the royalties or collecting the money and then paying it out to you as it's deserved. Um, the same thing for mechanical royalties. Uh, so if I wanted to, um, let's say I wanted to uh, do my own cover of I Will Always Love You and release it onto streaming services, I would actually need permission from Dolly Parton to do that, to make those copies. Um, but I could go to Dolly Parton's music publisher myself um, which is actually Dolly Parton, <laughs> but um, if uh, I could do that myself, but I could also work with a distribution company like Lander, um, who would then um, handle that for me. They would seek out the licenses and then I would get it as part of my distribution package. There's another set of um, song royalties that a lot of people don't know about, um, and that's called something called MicroSync. Um, and that's not to be confused with synchronization. It's a little bit different. Um, Microsync is any time music is used in a user-generated video. So if somebody puts up a YouTube video and uses my music, or if my music's being used on Instagram in somebody's story, or if my music's being used on TikTok, that's a Microsync. And it's a little different than synchronization in that typically music publishers will do a deal with um, this, the um, apps themselves or with YouTube um, or with Facebook or with Instagram um, themselves and then um, they'll get paid out royalties uh, for those uses and it's not something you have to worry about. Now if you're independent, these things typically end up being um, handled by your distributor if your distributor has a deal with TikTok or with um, Instagram, etc. You can go to the next slide. Lots of other ways that um, your song can be exploited and that you can make royalties. Now, one of the biggest ones is traditional synchronization licensing or sync licensing. This is when your music um, gets used in a TV commercial, in a film, in a movie. Anytime the music is literally synchronized with an image, with a moving image, that's a synchronization. And um, there's no set standard for well, there are standards, but there's no set fees to how much you get paid if somebody uses your music in a movie or in a commercial. Um, it really depends on lots of different things, how big you are as an artist, how, um, how popular the song is, if you're signed with an indie or with a, with a major publisher, if you do everything yourself. The fees vary, and it's a one lump sum payment for, um, for a license, for a set of rights to use your music. Um, there's also performance royalties that come from that sync. So um, if I um, have my music uh, used in a, t in a commercial, um, let's say a car commercial, and that car commercial airs on a TV network and um, the song is heard, the TV network has a license with um, Performance Society like SoCan, pays them a, a separate royalty and for the availability of my music being heard to the public. Um, and then SoCan will pay those additional royalties out to me. Um, there's also uh, royalties that can be received whenever somebody uses your music as part of a theatrical production. Um, those are called grand rights. Um, whenever uh, lyrics are being put uh, online or, um, or being written down or printed and distributed or sold, um, or sheet music, those are called print royalties. 
So when you see those lyrics, uh, when you Google somebody's lyrics and they're uh, up there um, for you to read, um, the, the service that's actually providing those lyrics needed a permission, needed a license to make those lyrics available and then royalties are paid on a, usually on a per click basis. Um, there's also uh, the rights that you get um, in a copyright for derivative works to be made. A derivative work is any kind of new arrangement or parody of your song. Um, and then so you'll get royalties from that if somebody does that. Anytime your song is sampled by another artist, um, that will use the original recording and the composition to create a new recording. Um, so you would get royalties from that. Um, cover songs, uh, like I mentioned before with Dolly Parton and Whitney Houston, there's uh, reproduction royalties from that as well as public performance. Um, and then if anybody uses your music in podcasts as well, you can't use, if you're producing a podcast, you can't just use music, you need permission. Um, and in order for all of these things to happen, whether it's um, the three main um, uh, uses that I mentioned before or any of these, um, whoever is using this stuff needs permission. They need a license because remember, as um, as the songwriter, you have the exclusive right to to use your music um, in any of these ways. But um, if somebody else wants to use that, you can temporarily license out these rights to people, and then they have to pay you royalties in exchange. You can go to the next slide. So any public use or reproduction or sale of your music is going to um, result in royalties. So like I just said, thinking back to copyright, the owner has the exclusive right in the copyright. Um, and remember that those rights can be sold or assigned for other people to handle or for other people to use. And when you hear the term license, it's basically granting permission um, and the responsibilities for use uh, to someone else to use the song under certain um, conditions for certain reasons. So when somebody asks me what I do for a living because I work in licensing and nobody ever understands what that means, all I do is I explain that um, I basically get permission for people to use music. I get the permission for people to use music and then I take care of um, working out all of those permissions and making sure people get paid. So that's essentially the process of licensing. So a license ensures that songwriters earn money for their use and that their song is being protected from any kind of illegal use. So a license is always gonna be for a certain period of time, for a certain use, and if anybody is using beyond that, then that's a breach of the license or a breach of copyright, and there can be really big penalties for that. Um, a license doesn't change the ownership of a copyright. So you're not selling your ownership over to me. You're not passing the ownership over to me. You maintain ownership, but I get to use your song in the way that we've agreed. So when I'm licensing a song for a commercial, um, I'm approaching the songwriters or their music publishers who represent them, as well as their record label, or them, they themselves, if there is no record label, I ask for permission to use the music in an ad. I give all the different criteria of how the music's gonna be used, whether it's gonna be on TV or on the internet, um, for how long, in what countries, and then they give me permission. 
I draft up a contract. I have to follow, or they draft up a contract rather. They, I have to follow the restrictions in that contract. I have to pay the fee we agreed to. And then after that contract is over, I lose all of those permissions I was granted. And then I have to stop using the song and that should be it. And if I continue to use the song despite this, that would be a breach of the license. Um, so for example, there's lots of different kinds of licenses. Sync is one of the main um, money makers because the fees can be quite large, um, but there's lots of different kinds of licenses. So a songwriter can assign their public performance rights to a performing rights society who would then license those performances of the songs to a business like a restaurant and then they would or a radio station and then they would track and collect and pay royalties. Um, songwriters would sell their publishing rights uh, to music publishers who would then license any kind of permission like a synchronization um, to use the songs in TV shows or movies or commercials um, or to make copies, so mechanicals um, or anything like that. You can go to the next slide. Um, performing rights organizations or PROs um, and collection societies are one of the main ways you get your royalties. So that would be um, SOCAN uh, in Canada. They're perform the, main, the main and only performing rights organization in Canada. In the States, there's ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, and GMR. Um, so there's lots of different ones in the U.S. and you can choose which one you want to sign up with. They each have their pros and their cons. Um, CSAC is invite only, so is GMR. GMR is usually reserved for really um, popular and well-known uh, songwriters. In the U.K., uh, it's PRS. Um, in Europe, a performing rights organization or PRO is actually known as a collective management organization or CMO. So just a little thing to be aware of. Um, in France, it's a SEM. Now for mechanicals, it's a totally, usually a different set of people um, or for reproduction. In Canada, it's CMRRA or the Canadian Society of Mechanical uh, Rights. In um, the US, there's the MLC, the Mechanical Licensing Collective. Um, and then uh, there's also Harry, the Harry Fox Agency. Um, that's also a mechanical collection society in the US. SOCAN, though, actually now has started doing mechanicals after they bought um, the Quebec company, SODRAC. So you can actually choose now in Canada if you want to work with SOCAN or if you want to work with CMRRA. Um, pros and cons to each, you really have to do your research to see which one is better for you. Performance royalties get paid directly to the writers and to the publishers. Um, mechanical royalties get paid to the publisher and then the publisher will pay to the writers if you have a publishing deal. If you don't have a publishing deal, you get everything directly. Um, Alessia, how are we for time? We have time for a few more slides. Okay. So we can speed up a little bit, but so far so good. Okay, great. Um, so um, when it comes to performers though, uh, performers rather than performance, they also get performance royalties. Remember, those are called neighboring rights, and those are handled by neighboring rights societies, or what's called a licensing company. And um, musician rights organizations handle the performance rights or recordings. So in Canada, that's a company called ReSound. They handle neighboring rights and performing rights. Um, and I have a few of these in red because ReSound is actually the umbrella organization 
um, who handle all of these. So you can register with ReSound, which will register you with all the others, or um, you can register individually for each of these. In Canada, um, there's a company called Connect, which is affiliated with ReSound, um, or in Quebec, there's Soprock, um, and that's for labels or makers of sound recordings in Canada. Um, for artists or for performers, there are um, artist organizations. There's a few of them, and you can choose which one is best for you. There's MROC, there's Artisti, there's Actra Rex, um, and they all do similar things. It's just a matter of which one is best for you. Uh, one that has a lot of buzz that most people know about is Sound Exchange in the US. They do the same thing as ReSound, but they're based in the US. Um, a lot of people do choose to register with Sound Exchange instead of ReSound. Um, all of these organizations have reciprocal agreements with their partner organizations around the world. So um, that's how you end up getting your royalties from the US um, in Canada because ReSound, for example, works closely with um, Sound Exchange to make sure that um, money from the US is coming into Canada and vice versa. You can go to the next slide. One thing that's important to know is that royalties are constantly unclaimed. And if you don't register for these organizations, or if you don't have somebody who's registering for you, you're not going to make, you're not going to get your royalties if you have music out there in the world. Um, so rights management is a really important part of music publishing. Like we saw, there's many ways that copyright can be exploited and made money off of. And so it's really important that your song is properly registered with all of the key players to make sure that you're getting paid all of your royalties that you're owed. Um, one of the main causes of unpaid royalties is songs not being registered or not having an affiliation with a collection society, not having a publisher or having completely incorrect data. So there's usually a retroactive wait period to get your money of sometimes up to two to three years. Uh, no, I'm sorry, sometimes up to, um, it's something like nine months to get your money once you are registered. But they, the um, organizations like SOCAN have a, a period of time that they are willing to hang on to your money for you if you haven't registered, and it's about two to three years. Now, the trick is that if you don't register and you're past that period of time, all of those unclaimed royalties get paid out to the top earners from those societies. So for in Canada, if I have music and I didn't register with SOCAN and three years later, my song has made tons of money or even a little bit of money, um, that money is going to get split amongst all of the top earners that are SOCAN members. So my money is going to go to like Drake, which that sucks. He has enough money. <laughs> so um, you want to make sure that you're registered. Uh, your music is registered where it needs to be. Go to the next slide. So when you're registering your songs, you want to not forget that you want to list all the performers of your songs. So um, there could be lots of different people who have performed your music. If somebody has um, done a few covers that you know of, um, or if you uh, have a few different bands or artist names that you go by, you want to list all of the writers or the publishers that are involved, as well as their splits. That's why I remember all the different percentages that can exist. You want to list any alternate titles. So for the song Too Good For You, it could be T-O-O, -O, good, the number four, and the letter U, or Too Good For You written out completely. If there's alternate titles, you want to make sure that um, they're all listed. 
um, you want to confirm the splits, like I men mentioned. You want to update your contact information if it changes. And you also want to report any live performances. A lot of people don't realize is that when they play a show at a concert venue, like let's say you do a show at MTELUS and you played, if you don't register that show, you're leaving money on the table um, by SOCAN because um, MTELUS has to pay um, for a license with SOCAN and then for their live shows, that money then gets paid out to SOCAN. But if SOCAN doesn't know who to pay it to, they're just going to hang on to it. So if you played a show, you have to um, report the show and list all the songs that you played as well as who wrote them um, or else you're leaving money behind. So the big question I get asked all the time is where to register in Canada. So if you're a songwriter or composer, you want to sign up with SOCAN for the writer's share of your public performance royalties. If you're a music publisher or you are self-published, you um, can also register as a publisher with SOCAN, um, but um, SOCAN will pay you your publisher portion regardless of if you're registered as a publisher or not, um, if you are the songwriter. Um, that's for your public performance royalties. And you want to register with CMRRA or um, SODRAC via SOCAN for your reproduction royalties. Um, if you perform on recordings, you want to sign up with ReSound or with one of ReSound's member organizations I mentioned, like MROC, ActraRax, or Artisti for your public performance royalties as the performer. If you are a maker, so you're a label or you're self-released, you want to sign up with ReSound or Connect or Soprock for your public performance royalties and with Connect or Soprock for your reproduction royalties. Um, some people choose to sign up with SoundExchange uh, directly, like I mentioned, you can do that. They have a partnership with CMRA. Um, you can sign up with CMRA and opt in to um, SoundExchange. Um, you can sign up with CMRA and opt into the MLC, which I highly recommend. The MLC is a new um, organization that collects royalties uh, from streaming services for reproduction, which is new. Um, and so um, you would opt in or you can register with the MLC directly. It's really important to do your research on this and to kind of figure out to, that you have all your bases covered to make sure that you're not leaving any money on the table. The good thing too is that a lot of these organizations have people on hand that will help walk you through it and answer any questions. So you can call up MROC if you have questions, you can call up CMRA, you can call up SOCAN, and you can do this before you're a member. Um, you don't have to be a member to get service from them. Uh, you can go to the next slide. Um, and just the last thing I wanted to give a quick look at just how these things can get divided up, how songs can get divided up. And I'm going to do this really quickly um, just because we're out of time. But um, so let's say um, you wrote a song or in this case, Lisa Simpson wrote a song. Uh, she owns uh, 100% of the um, writer's share of it and she's assigned her publishing over to the music publisher Quickie Mart Songs. Um, we're going to look at this in terms of royalties. She has a 50-50 publishing deal with Wikimart. So in this case, she would get $100 from, let's say, performance royalties from SOCAN. 50 bucks would go to Lisa. 50 bucks would go to Wikimart songs. It just gets split easily in half like that. You can go to the next slide. 
uh, let's say Lisa has a co-writer, in this case, Ralph Wiggum, um, $100 still the same royalty amount that gets paid out from SOCAN, but because Lisa and Ralph wrote the song together, they've decided on a 50-50 split. 50% um, is gonna go to their publisher, so 50 bucks over to them, and then they would divide up the remaining uh, portion of their writer's share, 50-50, so they'd each get 25 bucks. You can go to the next slide. That, but things can get really complicated. Remember, it can be, if there's like more writers there are, the more the money gets split, the more publishers there are, the more the money gets split. But if you are your own publisher, you um, get to keep that money. So let's say Bart and Milhouse wrote a song together. Uh, Bart is his own publisher, didn't sign up with a publisher, has his own publishing deal. Uh, Milhouse, though, signed up with, uh, did a publishing deal with the Mart Songs. That same $100 royalty is going to get split in two. Half goes to the publisher, half goes to the writers. Bart and Milhouse split that writer's share equally between, uh, between themselves, 50%. But on the publishing side, that's where things get a little more complicated. Bart doesn't have a publisher. He gets an extra $25. Um, Milhouse, though, has a publisher with Quickie Mart Songs. Quickie Mart uh, is going to split it. Uh, they have a 50-50 publishing deal. Uh, that 25 bucks gets split in half, 12.50, 12.50. It all depends on the contract. Um, I, this probably looks like impossible to understand, but if you just start to break things down between those pies that I mentioned, between writer's share, publisher's share, and then how things get divided up amongst the contract, it can really help. But asterisks on all of this before you enter into any publishing agreement, um, you want to have a lawyer look over it. You want to make sure you understand the ins and outs of it. You want to make sure that you know exactly how much you're going to get paid. If you don't have a publisher, very important to make sure that your songs are registered everywhere they need to be so that you're not leaving any money behind. That's it. I hope that was helpful and not horribly confusing. Amazing. Thank you so much, Katie, for the great you're presentation welcome. and breaking down this uh, pretty complex topic. Yes. <laughs> so we do have a few questions, actually, um, from our audience. Uh, first question, Alan would like to know, as a SOCAN member, is it enough to be protected once the work is registered with them? In terms of copyright, Yes, um, you would have proof. So if somebody would um, copy your song or uh, claim it as their own, you would you would have a registration that says, okay, here. And if you have co-writers or splits, you would um, have uh, you know a record of all of that and how the splits are supposed to be divided. Um, so you would have proof, for example. But you don't need proof to have a copyright. You don't need to have a registration. But it makes it a lot easier if there's any kind of issue that pops up or any kind of split um, or dispute, rather. Um, now, obviously, there can be, you know, there's a million songs called love, right? Or there's a million songs called whatever, whatever you can think of. Um, so sometimes it can be hard to distinguish those. You can register with the Copyright Office. There's an old school um, thing of like mailing a copy of something to yourself. It's supposed to be like the way of like showing I have a copyright or I fixed this work. Um, you can do all of that with technology now. Um, it's a little easier um, to, you know, a lot of songs are recorded and put up in a cloud somewhere or whatever. So it makes things a little bit easier. But ultimately, you want to be able to have some kind of proof or record. Um, and there's different ways you can do that. But essentially, um, registering with SOCAN is a good step. And it makes sure you're getting paid your performance royalties. So um, definitely recommend. Perfect. Thank you so much for answering that. 
Uh, there's another question from Paul. He wants to know. Um, so I have co-written a song with two others and registered the, the appropriate split. Mm -hmm. I've also used some of the ideas, so chords, uh, special riff, to write two other songs with totally different ideas for this story. I have given the original writers of the original song the same split on the new works, so comment on the copyright. Oh, sorry, you cut out. What was that last little bit? He wants to know the comment on the copyright, so I guess how you would proceed with the copyright. Okay, well, um, if I'm understanding correctly, your copyright already exists because you've recorded the songs and, um, you know, you're all good there. And um, that was generous of you to, to give the splits out. Um, if you were the, let's say hypothetically, if you were the one to have written those elements that you used in your other songs, um, uh, you could argue that um, they belong to you and so you are able to use them and your co-writers, you know, didn't use them. But if it was a collective effort, it is a good idea to, you know, to make sure everything's attributed fairly. And this is why split sheets or registrations are really important because um, it settles any kind of dispute in the long run and you, you all agree to what it is. So it's a good idea. You know, anybody can register different people with SOCAN. Um, you could have one member of your band uh, do all the registrations doesn't necessarily mean it was done properly or that um, it was all agreed to. That's where having some kind of split agreement can be handy, where you just, you know, you write out all your shares and each people sign it, um, and then you're protected, basically. Um, so I hope that answered the question. Yeah, I think that does. Paul, let us know if you have any additional comments or questions on that. Um, so let us know. There's a few more minutes. We're just going to do um, just thank our partners and sponsors. And if you have any other questions, feel free to um, put them in the chat for, for the remaining <laughs> few minutes left. In the meantime, I would like uh, to make sure. Um, so we have uh, monthly workshops um, that are kind of like specific. We focus on specific topics. We narrow them down. Um, and so if you have a specific topic you would like us to cover, you can subscribe and submit a topic idea on syncopatednoise.org slash workshops. You can also follow us to get updates on our events at Syncopated Noise. We are a nonprofit organization. We want to make these events uh, free for you guys to learn about the music business. Um, and we've put the donation link in the, uh, in the chat as well if you'd like to make a donation. The next workshop, Save the Date, is going to be on November 27th. It's also going to cover some really great topics. And I'd also like to thank Factor Canada and Long McQuaid for making this event possible. And of course, Katie, our amazing speaker here today. Uh, just before we close, we do have, I think, one additional uh, question. Um, okay, so Jazz is saying, I have written and recorded a song on a beat made by someone else. How would okay. I split that? So when it comes to sampling, that's a that's a uh, complicated thing, <laughs> and um, you you need permission from the people, the person that wrote the beat, to use it. Um, so if that, that is somebody you know, great. You want to make sure that um, on the SoCan website it asks for the composer. Okay. So first, you need the permission to use that beat in the first place. So you can't register the song, you can't use the song, you can't distribute the song without the permission of the person who. Okay, you have permission, great. Um, so you get you secure that permission, and then you need to um, come to an agreement with them as to how much, if anything, um, they get to keep from the song in terms of the registration, in terms of the royalties. So if they want 50% of the song, 10% of the song, 
nothing, $50, you know, you want to make sure you come to an agreement um, and you want to have that agreement in writing. Um, it is completely up to you if the producer gets a split. So I saw that he says, um, I was told by a SOCAN member that the producer does not get a split. That is not true. It depends on um, what you agree to. If they're paid for their production time and they waive and their studio time and they've, um, they're not considered a songwriter, then that's perfect. Um, then you would, um, you would not register them as a songwriter, as a composer. Um, you would be considered the songwriter or composer. Um, if you if they require that they're registered as a composer for credit, um, but they do not keep a percentage of the song, that's fine. You can register them as a composer, um, but um, keep a, the um, splits uh, yourself. Are the beats considered to be registered as a composer? Um, you know what? I would definitely strongly recommend um, that. Uh, yeah, uh, Paul mentions that you get it in writing. I would recommend you get it in writing. But I would also um, just contact SOCAN with these questions because they're um, very available. Um, you can get somebody on the phone who can answer your questions and go over it in more detail on a case-by-case -case basis to make sure you're protected. And um, in the case of using somebody else's work, if there's ever any questions or any kind of um, you know, fogginess, um, it's always a good idea to talk, to talk to a lawyer or talk to somebody who can draft up an agreement to make sure that you're protected. Perfect. Thanks so much, everyone. Um, so let us know if you have any questions. Subscribe to our workshops. Thank you so much, Katie, for your amazing presentation. You're so welcome. Thank and you so we'll much for having me. And see you at the next workshop. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Have a great evening. Uh, Thanks, afternoon. everyone. <laughs> Bye. Bye.